Hello and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show about sports, art, and the space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. And today's episode is about The Last Dance, the 10-part documentary about Michael Jordan and the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls, and of course, just the legacy of the Chicago Bulls during the 1990s. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because it's kind of been building up over the past couple weeks as I've been watching The Last Dance, as I'm sure many of you are. And uh, my guest is Brian Tran, who is a dear friend. Uh, and we met a couple years ago at Paul Art Space at an art residency uh, just outside of St. Louis. And Brian is a MFA candidate at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. And yep, we just both do sort of a deep dive into what we think of the episode so far, interesting points. We both made a list. And I always have fun discussing basketball with Brian. He's a longtime Lakers fan and yep, just appreciate his perspective. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you all are safe and please don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review if you can. This is not your first time and will not be your last time, but might be the time where I'm just most excited and have so many things to talk about, unload. I'm just like bursting with commentary. (laughs) Your people that, that you have a list. I have a list of observations, <laughs> of thoughts, of opinions about The Last Dance that I've just been making as it's happening, sometimes after it happens when I'm thinking about it. And let's just say I haven't watched each episode once. Um, I've watched each episode more than once because I think it is a moment where I have I'm able to pay really close attention to something. And uh, it just feels like this is this is one of those things that I want to to know. Um, so I'm so happy to have you on the show today to discuss some of your thoughts it, it, about it, the it, show. It, it seems very very Michael Jordan to shut down all of basketball just to have all of our eyes and attention purely on this because there is such a need. Like everybody misses basketball, um, that like you know this this is coming at like the perfect time. It's amazing that he timed it this way. Yeah, I don't know how he, you know, partnered with uh, whoever to uh, make sure that everyone would just give him, like, the maximum amount of attention. Um, it's also just so interesting knowing that, like, everything in the doc is from before the pandemic. So it's just a different world that everyone yeah. was living in, even up until, like, the most recent interviews. Um, so I don't know if you're feeling as, like... So- excited to discuss this as I am, but I'm I'm ready to meet you more than halfway. <laughs> and I think that you have also prepared a list, maybe not as extensive as mine, but a list of things that you're interested in in the show and interested in discussing. So because you're the guest, I'd love, um, let's just go back and forth. You name something, I name something. Well, sure. Why, why, don't, why don't you go for it? So, so I, I will answer that and say that like, uh, I am not nearly ex- as excited as you are, and I imagine your list far outnumbers mine. And so, if we're going to stagger this, uh, I feel like you should go first. Although I am excited to talk about, it, and I have been really enjoying uh, the doc. So, but go ahead. Yes. Um. 
So, again, some of these things are items of just observations, quick one-offs, and some of them are questions that I might pose to you about what you think. Um, I th- in the second episode that focused on Scottie Pippen, one of the things I loved about that was the footage of him playing basketball when he was in college and knowing, getting this information that he had started out as the equipment manager. So he had not necessarily been recruited by the school. He didn't have a scholarship and a couple of the guys on the team ended up not being able to play. And he really was aggressive about trying to get a scholarship in and, and get put on the team. And then there's this amazing footage of him just kind of dominating uh, these games in this like small gym. And I just felt from watching that footage that there was so much excitement around him playing and, and he was fairly unknown still. I mean, he was really unknown. And I don't think that that is possible anymore. I mean, I think even at smaller schools and I mean, it just we are seeing talented players so much earlier on in their lives than than we were then um that this idea of watching someone that you have no idea this amazing thing is going to happen to them I think now when we watch really young players in high school and in college like we know that they're going to the NBA but that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case when seeing this footage so it was just so exciting to even think about you know being one of those people in the gym that's watching Scottie Pippen play and knowing not knowing what's going to happen and then he goes on to have this insane career, I just kind of envied that sort of um, watching it just for the sake of watching it right then without any sort of like, I saw this guy play when blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a certain purity to it, which is um, uh, something I want to talk about later on. But why don't you catch us up a little bit? Because I'm a little bit hazy on his exact circumstances of uh, like, was he on the team or not on the team? Well, he wasn't on the team when he first went to college. It's at the University of Central Arkansas, I think. He was not and so he was, on the team. He was sort of in in the way that one would work for a th- like a theater company, hoping that somebody breaks their leg uh, so that they can like understudy and take their role. Was that? Well, I don't doing. know why he – I mean, I think that maybe he had ideas about that, but, like, he was just presented with the opportunity because I think some of the guys who were on that team, their, like, grades slipped and they weren't eligible to play anymore. So he then sort of stepped up and was, like, talking to the coach and kind of kept mm-hmm. going after him until he gave him a scholarship and he was able to play. So, like, sort of just a true uh, kind of breakout story um, in a way that, may not exist anymore is what you're saying. Yeah, because I think we see, like, if Scottie Pippen was Scottie Pippen now, we would all know about it even before he went into the NBA. And even when Mm -hmm. he was drafted, he was drafted as Scott Pippen, which is not what people call him. I mean, that was just such a funny thing, this iconic, you know, to put up against this iconic moment that we've heard over and over again of David Stern announcing that Michael Jordan is going to the Chicago Bulls. Um, And then on the other side, in the second episode of the series, we have David Stern announcing that Scott Pippen is drafted by the Seattle Supersonics. But just even like those names that are embedded in our heads, Scottie Pippen, like hearing his name as Scott Pippen is like, whoa, that's wrong, you know? And I don't think we would have that today because we would already know all the stats about Scottie Pippen. We would already know, mm-hmm. you know, what his his name was and, and what he liked to be called and where he was from and all these things. And so I like this idea of, of players kind of sneaking in. Of course, it can still happen. I mean, even just thinking about like Draymond Green and players that don't, it, it's not about um, 
players like sort of doing more than is expected or, or being surprises or whatever. It's just this idea of being an unknown, like no one really understanding, even though you're, you're showing this dominance. Yeah. Um, and was he, was he dominant? Like he was dominant right out of the gate in college um, on his team. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just know that that's like based on the footage. It looked like he was very mm-hmm. aggressive and playing really hard. And he was a point guard. Um, that was the first position mm-hmm. he played. So that was oh, also right, yeah. um, exciting to think about. And then having watched him play it professionally, you can see how he, that sort of translates, you know, from that he, he was bringing the ball up the court, you know, sort of starting the plays off. That was not something that he was uncomfortable with at all. Right, and he had like an insane growth spurt. Was it in high school or, or college? It's in college, yeah. Right, uh, which is pretty rare to have like that significant of a growth spurt in college. Totally. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just my first sort of point of excitement that I felt the first night was like, wow, Scotty Pippen, just like no one had any idea what was going to happen. So what, what well, is so, something? Uh, well, I mean, just, just to, uh, I mean, I, I like this idea of of thinking of something that can no longer exist. Um, really, I mean, the uh, perhaps one of the more contemporary examples that I can think of um, is someone like Jeremy Lin, um, uh, where it's even more so than say Draymond Green, who is very much a part of a team phenomenon, um, and within that, absolutely, like he is sort of. Uh, blazing his own trail in terms of his own uh kind of stardom um and and uh it's it's rare to see that sort of like um uh, stardom in something that is so very much a role player um but uh in terms of kind of individual stardom and individual phenomenon and celebrity um and hoopla um it would be something like uh, Jeremy Lin, and I imagine that if we are to see other examples of something like the Scott Pippen, <laughs> the Scott Pippen is that okay? Does that no, make it no, better? No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. The Scott Pippen, Scotty Pippen, um, rise to fame um, are going to be examples like Jeremy Lin, where it's very much left field, where it's very much um, sort of having to almost think outside the box or expand. Um, the collective uh, sort of basketball industry and fan base um, stretch their imagination to sort of uh, see another type of um, another type of talent, be it from a different uh, talent pool from a or uh, just a different type of player um, to sort of take the league by storm. Um, because you're right, like right now. There's so many, um, it is such a, a cottage industry, the whole um, sort of, you know, youth basketball all the way up to uh, the NBA. Um, there is a real kind of system in place that um, didn't exist um, around the time of, of Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan um, so that you can't really have that anymore. So you almost need to... Um, if there are going to be those insane sort of left field breakout examples, um, it's going to be uh, kind of outlier examples like Jeremy Lin. Yeah. And I mean, I think we see this with the story of Dennis Rodman as well, who didn't really, I mean, I think he played basketball in high school, but was not 
uh, encouraged to do so and to, to go on. And then he didn't really get any recognition. I mean, he started playing basketball really in college, seriously, which is yeah. wild considering the the teams he ended up being on and, and the, the player he ended up turning into. Um, and that's just not – that's – People don't like stumble into basketball in that way anymore, I don't think, mm-hmm. and or it doesn't seem that way. So that's just that's kind of like a time capsule moment that I really, I really loved. Yeah. Well, so, since we're talking about um, origin stories, this is uh, sort of in the, on the bottom of my list. Um, but uh, uh, but uh, bring I, it, it to the top. <laughs> it, it is something that is intriguing to me, especially in relation to. Scott Pippen and Scotty um, Pippen. We're just calling him Scotty Pippen, please, please. I beg and, you. Um, Dennis Rodman um, is that Scotty Pippen has such a really interesting origin story as you just laid out. Um, and did you find that, like, since this is you know uh, largely uh, the Michael Jordan story, um, did you find that? Um, you wanted more of um, his origin story. It just might be the case that he doesn't have a terribly interesting one, that the thing that everyone thinks of is that he got cut in the ninth grade. Um, But there wasn't the sense of a real sort of um, uh, deep examination into what makes Michael Jordan tick what's always made him tick, um, anecdotal sort of childhood um, uh, examples um, that really key us into his character in the same way that um, in the second episode, we got a little bit of that with Scottie Pippen, just a glimpse of it with the fact that he is um, uh, a kid of uh, 10, uh, of 10 children. Right. Yeah. And how that sort of um, uh, locked him into or very much informs uh, his decision to lock himself into that contract. That stuff was so interesting and um, and and well, you know, very much weaves its way into the uh, narrative of the entire series. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, th- there was no real sort of equivalence of that with. Michael, or or I found myself wanting a little bit more. Um, How did you feel? Well, I think they spent more time on Michael Jordan's childhood. uh, But I do think that they're trying to explain something that's sort of unexplainable in a sense. So they're talking Mm -hmm. about him competing with his older brother, Larry, and that, you know, Larry would help out um, their father. And Michael was, you know, seen as he you know, his father would just be like, oh, you can't, you're like sort of good for nothing or you just, you're getting in our way or whatever, like go inside. And that doesn't seem like terribly unique situation. Mm-hmm. So this idea that to explain how Michael Jordan's childhood informed Michael Jordan, the basketball player, seems near to impossible just because Michael mm-hmm. Jordan seems like such an outlier in, in many ways as far as how hungry he is for the chance to win and how much he wants to win. And I, so I think that it would have been almost useful to have like psychiatrists and psychologists like talk about, I, I mean, I'm just interested in, in his, his mindset. And I don't, I don't know how they could have 
how they could have explained that because it sounds so, I mean, like, you know, siblings, older siblings, younger siblings, like they pick on each other, they they fight, they compete for things in so many different ways. It's like that that can't be the answer to why he is the way he is, even if it's like a, a fraction right. of it. And, and, and in a sense, it's sort of like the way we um, and obviously I, I think I've spoken about this um, um in most of the episodes that I've been on is always sort of trying to, to relate uh, basketball in terms of narrative and storytelling. Um, and that's very much at play here as well, because Jordan is very much, you know, heavily involved in the storytelling of, of this documentary. Um, but it sort of speaks to the, the nature of what we want out of storytelling and things like this, where he is a superhero. We tend to sort of mythologize the origin story and try to sort of understand that like rosebud moment or sort of what makes them tick. And we have that to some degree with Scottie Pippen. Um, it very much is, is there with um, someone like Kobe um, who uh, grew up overseas, um, speaks many different languages. Uh, 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 once he came to America, um, very much felt that he was sort of isolated from um, mainstream culture. And, you know, the whole idea of basketball sort of being his solace and the only thing that provided him a kind of like refuge and his, that, that uh, central alienation um, of of being a kid in a in a foreign land um, carried through his entire career. He never uh, tr- like um, connecting with other people was an issue in terms of like uh, his teammates as well as um, sort of what drove him to um, kind of separate himself. Um, right, uh, and so uh, what I'm saying is is that. Um, I think fan bases and, you know, audience members, you know, like we hunger for those types of stories. And in looking at the Michael Jordan story, the, the, the thing that gets repeated over and over again is the fact that he got cut um, in ninth grade. Um, but even that doesn't seem like once we sort of like spend time with it, um, doesn't get the the sort of true, real, um, dramatic um, uh, context that perhaps we hunger. And I think it could, is probably just one of those things, as you're saying, that like, well, some things we just kind of can't explain and that like origin stories and and these sort of like self-mythologies um, are kind of just what we like people want in stories anyways. It doesn't necessarily explain who they are. Um, we just like to think that they do. Um, and that what this could be is just that, well, there, yeah, I mean, you know, we're looking at the right place. There's just nothing there. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And I, I mean, I want this documentary to be four times as long as it is. I want it to be 40 hours. You know, I'm already getting sad yeah. about when it's going to be over. That being said... I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that, like, I hungered for it. You yes, know? yes, yes. Like, no, I, I totally I, agree. And I, yeah. I'm not I'm not totally satisfied by the information that we have. Like, it, especially with Michael, feels so... We already knew it. There's some things that we're getting mm-hmm. about him that we didn't already know, but that tends to be way more on the sort of adult side of things. As far as, like, why... How he came to be the way he is... It's it's really similar to what has been in other documentaries, such as Above and Beyond or uh, Air Jordan, 
or whatever it is, some of his um, other earlier documentaries. And when I say earlier, like when he was still playing. <laughs> mm. so, and and yeah. were, b- 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 was uh, Above and Beyond also sort of sanctioned by Jordan's people? Oh, I'm them. sure. I mean, these were documentaries that came out like when I was nine. So yeah. I can't imagine. So, I mean, right. And and this is obviously like, um, yeah, this this kind of speaks to, did, did you see the Ken Burns quote about this series? No. Since you're watching a Ken Burns On series, and off, aren't you? yes. I'm, wa- I'm watching, slowly watching the baseball documentary by Ken Burns, but we have yet to get into a place where there are moving images. So it's really hard to stay focused. Um, well, that's, that's why he has <laughs> moving images on, on stills. Um, but, you know, and, and this is not like revolutionary sort of, you know, a, a take a revolutionary take or anything. Um, but this is uh, one of the things he said um, about the doc. I find it the opposite direction of where we need to be going. Uh, if you are there influencing the very fact of it getting made, it means that certain aspects that you don't necessarily want in are, aren't going to be in, period. Never, never, says Burns, saying he, him, he himself, sorry, he himself would never, never, never allow such a partnership on one of his films. Um, that's not a way you do good journalism, and it's certainly not the way you do good history my business. Uh, I probably made it sound um, in my reading of it more cranky than he actually is, but the the sentiment is again, I don't think a revolutionary take, but it does um, uh, point out, I think, what is obvious, which is that like perhaps this sense of um, not getting quite deep enough uh, is also a function of you know, how much does Jordan want to let us in? Uh, and, and how much of his image is, you know, goes back to that, that Republican um, uh, line, how much of his image so carefully protected by him? Well, so I have a lot of thoughts about this that I had written down. And one of them was, I mean, especially in the episodes last night, five and six, we're seeing him just surrounded by microphones, surrounded by lights, like really getting sort of chased, getting cornered. Um, this like hunger and thirst that you're referring to for like more information. Like even if, you know, we, you and I innocently want to know more about his childhood, just the idea of that is not necessarily, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I think it's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I agree that this isn't like, this isn't journalism necessarily. I don't know mm-hmm. in in my opinion, and I don't think it needs to be. I mean, I think that um, it's really gross thinking about how many people who have no idea who he is um, were so, like, physically aggressive towards him. Um, I mean, I just like when he walks out of the locker Wait, room and, mean? well, I'm just saying like when he lo- walks out of the locker room and there, and he's, it's like all these cameras and lights and microphones are inches from his face, mm-hmm. like 20 of them at the same time. I, and I get it. Like he's, you know, he's a billionaire. Um, he is incredible athlete, a celebrity, like that comes at a cost, but it, it was kind of sickening to watch that. And that's not the first time I've, I've had that same um, reaction to a player being kind of cornered by cameras, cornered by reporters, 
whatever, or celebrity. It just is not, it doesn't look like a healthy dynamic at all. And I mean, I'm totally part of the, you know, like if I ever met Michael Jordan, I wouldn't be able to talk. Mm-hmm. I'd be crying. You know, I if I saw him down the street and there was a barrier in front of me, I'd be like screaming and ripping my hair out, whatever. But I just think that like, I'm not necessarily proud of that, or I don't think that that is the healthy dynamic. And I also think that he has... He doesn't give a lot of new information to the media or to. I, I mean, he just ha, he has guarded himself very much yeah. since retiring, and I totally understand that. And I think that that is what exci- is exciting about this documentary. Of course, that he is he's offering so much, and if he's not offering everything, and if he's holding back, and if he's controlling a little bit, like I guess I don't really have a problem with that because I'm not treating this documentary like a newspaper. As, as, as the truth, right? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as saying like he's offering so much, but but sure. Um, I, I think one thing that I very much like uh, agree with is understanding this, um, and this will be a common theme for from me um, uh, throughout this call uh, is understanding this just very much in its historical context. And he was um, his, I think, stardom was unprecedented whereas now you could say okay the the outlier is uh russell westbrook's like today uh, westbrook's relationship with the media right uh where that makes the news sort of how combative he is um and partly because um uh players today have handlers um and have a kind of coaching and training uh when it comes to uh what to expect with the media and uh, it seems as though um, with Jordan, that level of fame and celebrity and attention um, was so unprecedented um, and so insane where that's the way to sort of understand how guarded he is. Um, and I think that's a, a really good point. Um, and, and not to say that he was the most um uh, famous person ever. Um, but even if you sort of look in other industries or other fields, um, you know, like, uh, princess Diana, um, there will be a long sort of history in how to protect, um, uh, you know, someone of that stature, uh, from the media. Um, when it comes to Hollywood stars, um, there has been a long standing just sort of, uh, industry and system in place with uh, feeding the media one story uh, just to protect uh, the private lives of, of who they really are. And, you know, with something like basketball, because he was such a, a kind of transformational figure um, and his story was so unprecedented um, and the league opened up and truly became what it was through him, um, I think that makes a lot of sense that he had to sort of uh, by being the, the the trailblazer, he had to take the brunt of all of that um, sort of invasion. Um, and it makes sense that he will be sort of discarded. Um, and that Republican line, like, I totally like... The Republicans buy sneakers too? Yeah. Like, it's so, like, uh, w- when that popped up in, in the recent episode, like, um, it was so, um, I think, understandable. Like, and not necessarily his defense of it, which I didn't think was, was necessarily like, um, all that elegant, but just understanding it from a standpoint of rooting us in its history and in its time. Um, 
it's it's kind of like well yeah that absolutely makes sense that he would need to be sort of that guarded um and um and yeah just just that that swarm of 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 cameras and microphones as you're saying like that is um that tells uh, so much of the story right there um yeah i mean i think that uh, what was disappointing to me, even within his explanation, of course, he, you know, can do whatever he wants or he did whatever he wanted about the uh, campaigning for the um, Harvey Gantt, I believe it was, in North Carolina, the Senate can- uh, candidate, uh, the Democratic Senate candidate. I think that what was frustrating to me about listening to his explanation last night, it's the same. He was a little bit this idea that like if you're a basketball player if you're focused on your craft if you're really good at what you do then you're then you give up these other things to talk about or these other opinions to have and so he was like you know i consider myself a basketball player it's like of course you're a basketball player of course you're like a, a master at your craft why would that exclude you sharing your opinions your political mm-hmm. opinions so i think that mm-hmm. it still feels as though he's just not owning that he just like didn't want to do it that he didn't want to be a part of it. And so, yeah, but I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's totally, I mean, it's his right not to, to own that or anything like that. It just still felt like these things aren't, uh, I, I, I you don't think like, of yourself uh, as a basketball player. You're, you're a human being. You have like, you're complex. You have a lot of different facets to who you are. It just right. felt like I a little bit like of a cop out as far as a response. His defense, um, wasn't sort of the, the greatest defense for, um, why you said that, I felt that um, uh, Obama's contributions were a sort of better way to understand it. Um, and part of it was was his saying, when you see someone like Jordan, like Oprah, like Obama, um, there is this sort of added responsibility for not only them to be perfect. And if you were to extend that, um, it's sort of like um, because um, people from marginalized communities or underrepresented communities they have a particular burden to sort of like um, speak on behalf of their people. Um, and that is a burden, you know, like that isn't fully addressed um, or examined within the documentary, but that is a burden that sure. writers of color have to sort of deal with is that like, um, they're not just having to, they don't have the freedom to just write their characters. Um that the readership and the media itself and the gatekeepers will very often sort of be like, okay, um, but you're also a stand-in for your people. And that that burden can be sort of really frustrating, right? And right. Uh, for, um, uh, I can also kind of forgive that, um, not forgive, that sounds so magnanimous, but like I can also sort of uh, better understand and sympathize with his decision to sort of say that and not necessarily engage because that is a burden that only certain people have to deal with um, from certain communities um, that, you know, I don't know, someone like, like Larry Bird or someone from a, a kind of a, a community um, uh, sort of already within power would never really have to carry that weight. Yes. And I'm just so, you know, his mom wanting him to do the PSA with her and uh, the um, Harvey Gantt is just also an interesting thing because he said, yeah, you know, I was 
I told my mom that I didn't know that much about him, so I wouldn't do it. Which, so again, I mean, it's, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Like, he shouldn't be responsible for doing it. It's just the answers that he was giving weren't adding up to me as far as, like, well, if you yeah. don't know that much about him, like, I mean, I guess you can't Google him in, like, 1992 <laughs> or three or whatever year it was, but you, you can uh, learn more about him if that was something you were interested in. So I, yeah. I think that, that, it was just like the the answers felt like it was still he was still like sort of selling himself short as far as someone who has opinions and has ideas about what I I I truly believe that he 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 has opinions and thoughts about politics um and so but but I could be wrong uh so that was just kind of a little bit of a you know these answers aren't aren't made for me to feel mm-hmm. satisfied with I just I felt like still unsure of of the direction that he he was going in with them that yeah i'm i'm I, i'm on the same page i feel like his his answers were a little bit lacking but there's so much around it um in the documentary that sort of makes up for it that that we can understand it and extend the kind of sympathy towards um towards why he did it yeah yeah and i th- i mean it's uh, interesting to me that, and I had forgotten this, but was reminded through the documentary that he didn't go to the White House when the uh, Bulls first won the championship. And I'm not sure what he did the other five times, uh, but it's just that's an interesting point as well that I had, I had forgotten about. Um, what is a, I just don't want to get too heavy because we're kind of been on my list a lot. So what's something, what's another, maybe a point on your your list of of tidbits? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to keep coming back to historical context and understanding things uh, sort of in a different era. Um, but I, I think a, a good entry point and the first thing that seemed initially scandalous to me um, uh, as the documentary, documentary opened uh, is Jerry Krause. Um, and I think I think it seemed like the conversation was um, perhaps rightly or not so rightly um, very much focused on like, this is insane. This is insane that he would, um, just the whole conceit of the documentary, the fact that you might dismantle a championship team, um, like after it just won and, and it, it like seems, um, just almost incompre- incomprehensible, um, by today's standards. I'm wondering how you feel about that because I have a, a, a perhaps sympathetic take on it. Mm, interesting. I mean, I think that that is so the, I mean, that's like the crux of much of the, the whole series is mm. how could this possibly be ending in this way? So I guess I I hadn't, I guess I've just, it seems like it's such a overlying theme that I hadn't, I was just waiting for, you know, to see how it played out. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but, but it's insane, right? Like, no, I mean, that... it's, it's it's crazy. I mean, I think it goes back to this, like, idea of, I mean, now it's, even thinking about, like, Scottie Pippen asking to be traded that year, saying that he wouldn't play for the Bulls again, I didn't know that that had happened before, and that seemed like that probably was a pretty big deal in in mm-hmm. in that time period, that it's not, as big of a deal now, or it's not as surprising now if a player does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it does seem like it takes so, so, so much to assemble a team of players that work together 
and have at least some kind of camaraderie off the court uh, that they can achieve a thing like a championship, that why would you, if it's not broken, don't fix it? And I guess it was broken to a certain extent, but it seemed like such personal animosity between uh, like clearly Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen had a lot of animosity towards Sherry Krause and vice versa, but that didn't stop them from winning championships. So even if things are broken, and then of course there's these issues between Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause, even if those things are are like, it wasn't it wasn't holding them back. They they were on top of the basketball world, so it wasn't keeping them from from achieving mm-hmm. anything at all. So that's a little crazy to me, especially. I think that it's extra depressing. I mean, depressing in a, a basketball sense. Thinking about like where the Bulls are right now. Um, I mean, yeah, just but, that... but it, it it held them. Uh, it obviously didn't didn't hold them back in the fact that they won uh, two three beats. Um, um, but it held them back in the sense of. I mean, Okay, if you subtract the fact that 99 was um, a lockout season, um, all of these are factors, right? But it held, it held them back in the sense that, like, well, could the team have kept on going? And that's just sort of one of those what-ifs. Um, but I think uh, just just sort of the um, uh, the way he, he's coming out, uh, across, or uh, I, I guess maybe I'll, uh, I'll frame it this way. Uh, my first reaction to this uh just sort of you know uh entering into um episode one was just like how incredibly foolhardy um jerry Krause was being um like incomprehensible to have a championship caliber team and wanting to break it up for what seems like sort of kind of petty and personal reasons, um, reasons having to do with like, I'm not getting enough credit. Right. Um, so, and I still think that overall that that's sort of foolhardy, but here is where, um, I'm, I'm, uh, definitely not forgiving of it, but perhaps, um, willing to be sympathetic about, um, what was going on there is that, um, while it's incomprehensible now, um, one thing that I very much like always get on my high horse about um, when it comes to sort of uh, Twitter discourse and thinking about art uh, and um, uh, and stuff like that um, is is the the sort of um, myopia of the contemporary lens. Like it is it is important to acknowledge that th- certain things are outdated or problematic sort of in their time. Um, but it is also important to actually understand them within their time. Um, and to sort of not just to be able to judge them from contemporary standards, because we would do that anyways, but to be able to understand and judge them, um, in the context of the era in, in which the, in which they're happening. And so, um, I think with something like like uh, one thing that might be sympathetic about um, uh, Krauss's behavior here is the fact that he was part of a team that revolutionized the league and that um, we can't judge it by the sort of contemporary lens and how incomprehensible it is uh, because at the time um, he was very much a part of a team that completely remade the team 
um, in its own image. Um, and that was largely because it was Michael Jordan remaking the league in his own image, like almost literally not quite the logo, but you know, the Air Jordan logo is like secondary in terms of like basketball, uh, sort of silhouette symbol. Um, and so, um, because of that, because he was sort of in the middle of the storm, um, it's, I'm able to forgive or at least be sympathetic to the fact that, um, uh, that he was part of such revolutionary change that he wouldn't have the perspective that we have now because we have 30 years of data to be able to look back at teams that have gotten close and failed, teams that have gotten close and won, teams that have sustained uh, sort of championship um, uh, success. Um, and we've been able to um, say, well, this you must protect this uh, or, or this will never uh, end up working. So sure you can break up, um, you know, you can send Paul George to the Clippers and Westbrook to, um, to, to the Rockets or something like that. In other words, we have a, a tremendous amount of data that Jerry Krause in the nineties was not able to draw on. Um, and so for that reason, I'm willing to, I'm willing to extend some sympathy uh, by nature of the fact of putting the brakes on my sort of contemporary lens of finding this absolutely incomprehensible. It's comprehensible once you under, like understand it uh, within that era. I sort of agree. I just also think that like there was already I mean, he already had like a bunch of years to look back on as far as understanding how basketball teams develop and work and achieve great things together. And even seeing how the Bulls with Michael Jordan had struggled for like, I mean, I think as he was drafted in 1984. I mean, the, you know, until 1988. Maybe was the mm -hmm. first year they went to the playoffs. I'm not sure, but I'm just saying that like he saw that it took a lot of time to achieve big things and the right combination of players. Even just you know when he traded Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright, like and and things like that. That it just a lot of tiny things adding up. And so I think that for me, from the first episode, what stood out was Michael Jordan saying like we have a right to defend our championship until we're no longer champions. Like. And I think that that feels sort of really obvious or should have been obvious that if they're if they're winning, why why take away key parts of that like Phil Jackson? Um, so that's what I don't understand is and I and I, I don't understand. I think that also Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, who of course Jerry Krause is not able to be interviewed for this documentary series because he's dead uh which which you know is this is a really tricky thing to to speak about what someone else is thinking but with the information we're being given and Jerry Reinsdorf the owner of the Chicago Bulls and he is is you know in the documentary and talks about it I don't think that he was pushed hard enough to say like why he thought it was a good idea to dismantle this or to let it go to you know just just uh Start, start fresh um, when they were still winning. So I think that I can understand that it's really easy for me to say, yeah, like the Bulls have not been relevant for a while and they're, you know, at the bottom of the league and that's a really, that's a difficult thing. Uh, 
but and and of course like Jerry Krause was not has not been the manager since like 2004 or something so that doesn't that's not his responsibility but it's just this idea of I just feel like he are, he had he had dated too um and he knew that it took a long time to get to where they were and also like Michael Jordan I, and Scottie saying, Pippen had really not liked Jerry Krause for a while, like way before 1980. No, yeah, this was yeah, yeah. not a new animosity. So it's like this, you know, for some reason, even though they're in the middle of this historic championship uh, th- going for a three-peat and what could have potentially been a four-peat, I don't know, but just this idea that it, like this is the time for things to, to end for this group of people, it just seems a sort of... Uh, just nonsensical to me. Right. So I'm definitely not saying that he was in the right whatsoever. And uh, I, I, I can absolutely like hundred percent. Um, he is uh, uh, sort of foolish for um, kind of, um, you know, kind of swing, swinging his ego around. Right. Um, that that's absolutely like the wrong move. Um, uh, but in terms of of data, I'm not sure he had the data in terms of how sort of special and unique and fragile a championship team uh, is. Um, uh, I don't think he had. Um, uh, he, I don't think he could sort of like draw on that to to realize how special um, a team he had. Um, uh, just like. Um, th- that he had just constructed. And then the other thing is that it, it makes sense for him to have that sort of ego because he did make pretty um, bold moves in bringing in Tex Winter, um, in in firing Doug Collins and bringing in Phil, Phil Jackson. So if he feels responsible for Phil Jackson's success, I'm just saying it makes sense. I can understand his ego in feeling as though um, he has the the sort of um, the 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 boldness to to be able to fire uh, Phil Jackson. Um, I'm saying I can understand his ego, but not necessarily like I you know I think his decision is is pretty foolish, um, knowing what we know now. Um, but I, I will also say that like. Um, especially in the last in the last couple of episodes um that uh that my opinion like started to shift again um with him because like oh right uh scotty and and jordan were like going after him about the tony kukoc thing and so that upended things um where i was like oh well what they were they were sort of upset with him for like almost the entirety of the bulls run. Uh, and so that sort of, to sort of like, um, uh, shift my weight in terms of how much sympathy I was willing to, uh, extend to him. Well, one thing that's interesting to me is, or that I feel about him, and this is totally me just guessing, but that he would have loved if, you know, Michael Jordan had left the bulls in 1988, Phil Jackson had left the bulls in 1988, maybe Scottie Pippen too. And then the Bulls had still been a successful franchise that was like competing for a championship, because I think mm-hmm. then it would have shown that he, he was he was a bigger factor than people were giving him credit for as far as creating this championship team. So it seemed like right. he wanted this chance to be like, yeah, we had this amazing player, we created this dynasty, and then you know, all they 
they all left. It came apart. And now we're still we're still heavyweights in this league. And I just I don't I think and then that would show that he was the consistent thing behind all of this. And that's yeah, just me guessing. That, but yeah, yeah, but but I just don't I mean I think that that's foolish to a certain extent and um I yeah, agree. I mean it just seemed like even in I think it's when they won the third championship and this was shown just last night in the fourth episode and he's being interviewed and he's just saying like yeah w- this is such a great organization and the, and the way he's talking it starts out first like this is such an amazing organization I wouldn't want to work anywhere else from the from the owner down to the blah 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 like the the you know equipment manager whatever it is like this is just a great place to work it's and then he goes it's not just the players that do this like and then he says that so it starts out with this this kind of like loving ode to the bulls and ends with him sort of saying stop giving all the attention to the players like I'm doing this too which I can understand it's just it seems like it just seems slightly foolish I just I don't think we're getting the same thing from we don't see those types of dynamics play out in person uh it seems and and of course they like I was so young then and I I wasn't following the drama as much as I was following the game so I know that there were people that were watching the situation closely and seeing it and 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 writing about it and it was public information it's just yeah it's just so hard for me to imagine like Bob Myers um I don't know like telling Steve Kerr that he only had one more year he could only sign a contract and and then for one year and then he had to leave I don't know it just I'm I'm, I'm 100% um, in agreement that it is foolish and I don't agree with his decision. I'm just saying that like um, imagining, I can't imagine Bob Myers doing that either um, sort of, bre- you know, breaking up the sort of in, uh, acknowledging the fragility of uh, real chance at a dynasty. Um, but I'm just saying I can, I think I can slip my mind into what Jerry Krause was thinking um, because he was doing fairly the league was changing so much. Um, and when you're in the middle of the storm, you don't have that kind of perspective. And I don't think you have that kind of data. Um, I think Bob Myers can draw upon the Jerry Krause uh, example and say, this is clearly the wrong move. Um, and he turned out to be sort of the loser in um, in that battle of, of um, you know, who who the league truly belongs to or, or how much credit uh sort of belongs to the organization or the or the players what's interesting about this kind of epic battle between uh um the front office and um and the players um is the fact that he's sort of going against the greatest player of all time um and going against a a sort of a team and a player that um is ascending to a kind of superstardom that had never truly been seen before um and i think we can we almost have to understand it in terms of that as well um that um uh yeah just just uh, uh the league i think was forever changed and transformed through michael um and it's it's interesting that sort of within that storm there was um yeah there was there was some pushback but that that, that's quite an opponent to like go up against like the greatest player of all time and the most transformational player of all time yeah i i can agree definitely there are there were some sort of 
uh, unknowns there that that everyone was dealing with as far as how to to make this sustainable and make it work or to say that this isn't sustainable and how can we find something else that that's more that more familiar or you know building a team around Tony Kukoc uh, in the years after Um, I'm gonna get to my list yeah I think I'm just gonna throw out a a bunch of quick ones I love that there's not one narrator I like I mean, these are just things that I really like about watching it, that there's all these different voices chiming in, um, and that's really important to me. On the flip side of that, I'm really, I really want um, – I like the consistency in reoccurring contributors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Sam Smith who wrote the, the Jordan Rules and uh, just – Different people, uh, David Aldridge, who have been around, Michael Wilbon, played a role in this for a while. Um, I don't think I need Justin Timberlake like talking about when he was waiting in line to get air. Uh, yeah, that was air so I mean, I just I, also, so I, I want some consistency. Like, I'm like, did they just ask you one question? You know. <laughs> and also, his question was just sort of like I was trying to. Like I don't know, I I didn't I didn't care enough to like Google his age, but I was like, does the timeline even work right? Was he a kid at the time that like, you know, I I, I yeah I don't know. It well, was... it's also just such a generic story as far as like yeah, I saved up my money and went and bought a pair of sneakers like right. Air Jordans. Like that's that's a, a lot of people did that. Like why is it important that those words are coming out of Justin Timberlake's mouth? Like that was that was a little. Even though I have to say I love Justin Timberlake. Like I mean, I this is nothing against him in general. It's just this idea of uh, like I, I guess I enjoyed in the second episode when Bill Clinton spoke about Scottie Pippen because it was like they have this connection through Arkansas. You know, when he was the governor and Scottie Pippen was yeah. um, playing at the school and and when he said, yeah, when I the first time I met Scottie, he could barely put two words together. He was so shy, like all these things. That was such interesting sort of information that we, we can't just get from anyone. As far as mowing lawns to save up money to buy some sneakers, like – we could ask anyone that just pull someone off the street and they can say that like what what are we doing with Justin Timberlake here so I'm really like nitpicking now this is kind of like a piece of art and so much of it I I feel is is or as a document is 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 good and strong and I love I love this back and forth but the timeline like we move backwards and we move forward and and all of these things and I think they do such a strong job with the editing I'm thinking of the scene where where Dennis Rodman is describing getting rebounds and how he studied people's shots to know where the ball would hit, how the ball would move, where it would hit, and what direction it would go in. And there's this beautiful editing where he's kind of moving his hands around and describing, like, it would go over here, it would go over there, it would bounce off this way. And there's just, you know, thinking about the the, the rebound as a, yeah, a, as a piece now. of art. Yeah, I love it. And so it's just that that's such a powerful – so there's just so many good moments. And But I think that for me, I, I, I really like the, the characters that they keep – the people that they keep coming back to over and over again uh, for information. And then certain people that they've gone to who have specific stories that are relevant. Right. And so I think uh, I Justin think Timberlake instead of just Justin got put Timberlake, I think instead of Justin Timberlake uh, sort of being brought on as a talking heads – cameo which i agree it seems to be kind of useless um which if if there was home uh home video footage of him um wearing 
uh, wearing Air Jordans as a kid, would that have been welcome? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would have been better, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just this, you know, we're seeing a lot of, we're getting a lot of like generic spaces in this doc when people are being interviewed. It's like, oh, who's, what random Did you like the Jerry Seinfeld? Okay, I love the Jerry Seinfelds. <laughs> love the Jerry Seinfeld because that was a specific <laughs> moment. It's not just like in this like you know like soulless hotel room with like a potted <laughs> plant where it's. I, so I think that the more personal things could be. I mean, I love the Jerry Seinfeld. I also just need to and, mention. And it was so histor- it was it was also historically Justin Timberlake. Like I said, I was like, should I be googling his age? Like I don't know what time I'm in. Whereas uh, with Seinfeld, it was the '90s. Of course, like not, like it basically like ninety powerhouses coming together, right, you exactly. know, like hanging out, so you know. And I loved um, him that joke about this won't work when he points to one of the plays written out on the board. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was loling, you know. I mean, it was just it was that was so funny to me. Um, but What's I really, the deal I, with this play? <laughs> I really need to explain a beef that I have with another guest that's been sort of a bit of a one-time. Oh, this is exciting. A one-time. I uh, hope they're listening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he uh, follows or listens, a regular listener. But this is Charlie Rosen, who's a, I think he played basketball with Phil Jackson at some point and uh, just knows him from like his pre-NBA coaching days. Um, and he's mm-hmm. uh, just been around sort of like the Basket, professional basketball world, and he was interviewed. The, the game of professional. The game of professional basketball, as Michael Jordan might say, um, he was interviewed when we they were ta- discussing Phil Jackson having coached in Puerto Rico, and and uh, Charlie Rosen was talking about some of the things that he that Phil Jackson was dealing with down there, and that the fans were really passionate and cared a lot, and they you know would do sort of rituals against the the opposing team, like spreading some blood from a chicken out on people's, uh, you know, whatever. And it's just so, some things like that, like interesting information about Phil Jackson's experience in Puerto Rico when he was a coach. I have previous beef with Charlie Rosen from having checked out his book, uh, The Chosen Game, which I understood to be, uh, going into it, a history of... uh, the history of like Jewish people in ba- in professional basketball, mm-hmm. and there were so many errors in this book, like factual errors that I could easily look up. That I ended up. I mean, so first of all, there was all there was also some um, comments that I felt were sort of just uh, ignorant and a little bit getting into the just an ugly territory about like. A racism about who plays the game now and who played the game when it started and now there aren't as many Jewish players in the league as when it started and he had some complaints and just sort of moving into the area of like stereotypes and things like that um, and you know there's so much more money involved than when the league first started and things like that so it's this history mm-hmm. kind of of like the NBA uh, mm-hmm. and, and Jewish people's roles in the NBA Um so I had some issues with that, but also he got dates wrong. I mean, he said that he said that the Cavs were in the Western Conference. He said that. Oh my gosh! Wait, hold on. I'm going to pull up my original complaint email. Um, Did you get a response? I just got a response from the publisher saying that they forwarded the email on to Charlie Rosen. So I hope he doesn't ever keep me from 
from, you know, moving up in the world. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me see. Uh, in June 2014, the Cleveland Cavaliers faced off against the Golden State Warriors in the NBA's championship series. That's so wrong. So under, so this is incorrect. In 2014, the San Antonio Spurs played the Miami Heat in the championship series. Come on. Um, Where are the fact checkers? I know. That's what I said. Uh, he also mentions... Uh, uh, the overlap between the oh. publishing industry and the sports world is just not a lot. There's some other dates in here that he gets confused. He spells Tony Kukoc's name K-U-K-O. Tony Kuko? Like, come on. Just so that I, ha- I have a list of about ten things that I sent Scott to the publisher. Scott Pippen? Does he say Scott Pippen? He doesn't say Scott Pippen, but I, you know, I'm going to let David Stern slide on that because it was so it was the '80s, whatever. But it's just the fact that this book was written. It was written in 2017, and he can't figure out who played in the championship in the finals in 2014. Like, there's no excuse for that. So I have some issues with him, and the fact that he— this is not the first basketball documentary I've seen him in. He's getting called to do basketball docs. I'm not getting called. I'm just saying, you can get away with a lot of stuff if you have powerful friends. And I love um, how you're just using your own personal platform to drag this man. Yes. To drag him. Well, the thing I just I, best of luck to him. I never heard from him, and um, no, not I, best of luck to him. Sorry, but I just also want to hold him accountable because I think when you're writing something, uh, basically, if I can find, and I said this in my email, if I can find mistakes that you've made about dates and about years from the past three years, how am I supposed to trust what you're writing about the 1950s? You know what I'm saying? It's like you're writing a, a historical, a book rooted in history, and you're not you're using incorrect dates. How can I use this for research? How can I cite this as a source when you have so many things that are wrong? So, I mean, I, I said that that was really disappointing to me. And then on top of that, he just has some real, like, sort of uh, some comments that I felt were really offensive. So, mm-hmm. in general, I just, I don't want to see him in another major basketball doc if I'm not going to be in it as well. I mean, that, and that is the major point, uh, the ma- major takeaway for me. Um, but but to, to, uh, speaking of um, uh, some of, of what you were referencing with is sort of like, you know, the game is now spoiled and it's a wash of money and et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, this is kind of a parallel point, um, but one thing that was uh, so this is on my list. Um, one thing that was interesting um, to kind of revisit or to realize um, is sort of how pure, um, not the game itself, but well, to some degree, the game itself. Not just how pure, to some degree, the game itself was, um, but the act of watching and being a fan of basketball, there was a certain purity there um, uh, happening in the 80s and 90s um, that uh, perhaps doesn't exist anymore. And this is not the sort of 
you know, what Charlie Rosen is is sort of saying in terms of like, I mean, many people argue that like college hoops is more pure, right? Uh, because it's a team sport and because um, it is not about money. And obviously there are like huge racial like optics involved when people say that. So I al- almost always roll my eyes when people say that. Um, and this sounds like this is partly what Charlie Rosen is saying. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but um, one of the things that I sort of enjoyed about revisiting 90, like the Bulls dynasty in the 90s was in comparison to now that there was a kind of uh, purity, and that may not be the right word. In other words, it lacked the kind of self-awareness that our game, <laughs> that our game, uh, the game of basketball has now um, that is always sort of great to revisit. And what I mean by that. Um, is that in any in any sport, also in art, uh, since your podcast is also about art, um, in 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 certain movements, like it is it is uh, um, like certain um, things gain a kind of self awareness, right? Where it sort of becomes too smart for its own good, um, and uh, like. So one example would be um, something like Hack-A-Shack, right? Um, like people figured out that, oh, right, this could um, uh, benefit the team in terms of in terms of winning, even if it's not necessarily like the most exciting basketball to watch. Uh, or fouling, if you're up three and um, it's the last shot, uh, fouling the other team so that they can't hit a three. Right. Um, or even things more recently like load management um, and even things less um, sort of more pure hearted, like um, just the development of the kind of, um, you know, the advances in, in taking care of like a player's body. And and all of these things, um, what makes the most sense in terms of rest, um, all of these things um, didn't re- weren't really known back then, and so the game was just kind of simpler and pure in a way, um, and and didn't outsmart itself. Like it, it, there was something just kind of so um, I don't know uh, innocent in a way um, in in watching that game. And I guess. Um, one stark example of this um, would be the, you know, to contrast it to today's game, um, is obviously we are um, kind of living in the era of, um, or watching basketball in the era of um, player empowerment and and players having the ability to sort of team up with other superstars, other friends, um, and part of how we measure success and superstardom and, um, and goatness greatest of all time, um, is of course in rings and, and, um, uh, and so because of this new era of how, uh, who, uh, players are playing with and how teams are kind of, um, brought together, um, that changes the measurement in how we kind of, um, can view their success, right? And so now it's sort of like we have to be able to account for, well, is this player not just how good are they on the team, but how savvy are they in 
choosing the right team um, and making career decisions, right? Uh, whereas in the 90s, there was something kind of, um, uh, I don't know, something pure and innocent about the drama of, and it was inherently more dramatic uh, with Jordan having to make his teammates better because that's what the team was. There wasn't the sort of fluid player movement and player empowerment that there is today. And so what you had to do was figure out how to win with your team, um, which is clearly something that Magic and Bird very much valued and something that like um, uh, Jordan had to appreciate in the, in, the, in, in the first year he won his championship and had to... Um, you know, that's part of his story in being hard on his teammates is being able to make um, non-superstar players play at a star level. Um, and yes, there is some degree of that, of course, still today. Um, but, um, you know, back then you wouldn't have, let's say, LeBron one season ago, you know, kind of taking it easy knowing that Anthony Davis wasn't on the Lakers yet, you know, sure. and deciding not necessarily to sort of go all out and kind of play like that. It's a different era now. Um, but at the same time, it makes the most, it, it's, it's wise for LeBron to have done that. Right. Um, and to sort of put all of his chips on particular, given the the stage in his career on particular seasons. Um, uh, but you just, you just didn't have that kind of savviness and self-awareness and, and, and sort of complexity and life hacks and game hacks that you have today. Um, it really was kind of simple and, and a team going against another team and just, you know, um, uh, the, the sort of standard and classic example of, of made the best team win. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's more, uh, there's less of a need to sort of play with the cards you've been dealt, if that makes sense, as far as the team that mm -hmm. you're on. So uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I think that, you know, it's so easy to romanticize how things were in the 90s with the, the Bulls and how, I mean, of course, I think you know, we're seeing that Michael Jordan was not always the most supportive teammate, um, or he, he showed his support in, in various ways. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, just to acknowledge this also that he was not very nice to uh, Jerry Krause about about several things. I mean, just teasing him and giving him shit and about, you mm -hmm. know, like making sh like short jokes, like that's not that's so, I mean, it's just like, are we in seventh grade, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But sorry, to go back to what you were saying, it's just that, uh, so of course, there, it's not to say that things like were running smoothly on teams or on the Bulls in the 1990s. But I think there is this idea of feeling this uh, investment that it is your responsibility to, to make those around you better. And then, of course, that can be most of that responsibility can be put on the the best player on the team be, because of they're they're the best but at the same time it's like Scottie Pippen um was not Michael Jordan was an amazing player and also made people that he played around better and same with Dennis Rodman and same with Tony Kukoc and like just watching some of those highlights like there's just so 
there was like a lot of really great things happening on that team that of course had to do with Michael Jordan, but in the moments like there were just great great players that felt that 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 sort of showed up for each other. And that's just a really exciting thing to watch. And I think that we've had through the through the documentary, we've gotten to see that build over time. So even thinking about yeah. how Phil came in when he started and was like, yeah, we're not running plays for Michael. Like we're not the, you're not going to be the center of the the offense uh, the way that you had been before. Like this is about getting everyone involved and uh, that shift happening. And of course, it 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 would come back. I mean, oftentimes it would come back to Michael and he would, he would carry the team and things like that, but that it was this, uh, this, this team effort that almost immediately, like in immediate, I think in terms of, of, I mean, that it just, it worked after one year or yeah, yeah, I mean like a year and a half. So, um, that's kind of, um, an exciting thing that, that has been, that's proven. And of course, like that, that's the, the, footage that we saw of the all-star game in 1998 where Michael Jordan is talking about Kobe Bryant and saying like, Oh, you know, he, he's referring to him. Like he just always wants the ball. And you know, if he wants to keep shooting, that Laker, boy. Rebound, that Laker boy, like that is like priceless footage, so you know? And it's just also just so, it's so wild thinking about like then thinking about Kobe Bryant being dead. Like it's just an overwhelming sort of watching that was just a very, uh, what I'm sure was meant to be sort of, uh, I mean, it was lighthearted in a sense. It was also like a really heavy part of the series because we know the person that they're talking about and then the person that we get to hear speak because uh, Kobe Bryant was interviewed as well is, is not yeah. is not with us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I enjoy the like the sticking it out, but it's easy for me to say, and, you know, I really, as a Warriors fan, I really benefited from uh, a superstar not, not sticking it out forever with the same team. Um, so yeah, and 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 I I didn't want to say that one was better than the other. Like I very much sort of value and appreciate the sort of player imp- um, empowerment era. Of course. Um, and I wasn't saying like you know I wish we could sort of go back sort of to the past. I'm not a conservative at heart, um, but but that uh, but that uh, that is something that is is somewhat. Um, kind of preserved in amber and that was nice to sort of revisit and to kind of realize and and I hadn't thought of that before as as sort of like a um a lost element of the game. I mean, and it's still there to some degree in in the game uh as well today. Um but yeah, it was it was just interesting to sort of think about. Yeah. I mean, well, the, I think... the 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 yeah, go ahead. No, you go go ahead. Um, just a quick thing on, on Kobe. Um, uh, it's interesting to think about the original and the sequel, uh, and how on the one hand, the original will almost always sort of get the benefit of being the original, of being the drillers and, you know, get that credit for, I mean, I mean, rightly so, right. Um, it takes something to sort of, uh, blaze the trail and sort of forge your own path and kind of be the first, the first most often should be rewarded. Um, of course, unless like if you're the first and it's, you're the first because of some kind of privilege or something like that. But in this case, it's, it's, it wasn't right. And so, um, it's interesting to think of, um, 
like the Kobe Bryant uh, sort of chapter in episode five um, was somewhat out of place, like somewhat anachronistic. I mean, it was rooted in, of course, that all-star game, um, but it was kind of also just sort of talking about uh, Michael Jordan's influence. Um, and, uh, um, um, but what's, what's interesting in thinking about sort of that lineage um, is that like um, that, right. It's, it's almost like, even if uh, the, Jordan's predecessors and the ones that he influenced, even if they had sort of more firepower um, to their game, let's say, um, that it's incumbent on the sequel in a franchise, in a movie franchise, to sort of outdo. Um, it's, they're expected to outdo the original in some way, um, or else they'll never sort of be considered as good. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's sort of interesting to to, to think about, um, um, you know, Kobe sort of giving due to Michael and saying that, like, yeah, well, even if I did kind of beat him in one on one, like I got everything from him. Right. Like the original is there, right? Uh, and it's like the 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 sequel needs to be judged on higher standards, and, and you almost expect the sequel to sort of. Um, uh kind of have more bells and whistles have more firepower have more um uh sort of in its arsenal simply because it came later um but of course the sequels are rarely ever as good um and and uh yeah um yeah i don't know it's interesting to just sort of think about that lineage and and um um, and then, but, but then the other thing is that the sequel, um, in a franchise also becomes to some degree, um, very self-aware, right? Like in the star Wars movies, like they're, they're always doing winks about, uh, sort of why the f- fans always loved star Wars in the first place. So they'll like recycle lines. Um, and so there's the kind of self-awareness as well that the sequels, um, have a burden and kind of have to shed their it's it's what um Harold Bloom called the anxiety of influence um having to sort of be free of your influence and it's that burden as well that you're trying to have to outperform um I think of Kobe's performance disastrous performance in game seven in 2010 um and how it was so kind of forced in its hero ball um but i imagine that so much of that had to do with the era and the sense of awareness of having to live up to a standard that was already set um the kind of what i was referencing before about the sort of innocence and purity of an earlier era is that they didn't have the kind of self-awareness to it like they could just sort of play they didn't have to play in addition to be as good as somebody that everyone is already comparing them to. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, that's a huge shift. And as, as, uh, you know, the NBA and professional basketball and just basketball in general goes on, like that it will continue to sort of carry that, that way, because I just don't think that like Michael Jordan was trying to beat magic. He wasn't trying to like be magic, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was a big shift, like, since Michael Jordan is that that players. I mean, I just still don't understand why LeBron would, like, choose to wear the number 23. Like, it just seems <laughs> like it's one of those things of sort of, like, just make make your make a different number have that much power. You know, don't yeah. don't use that number. Um, so it's just an interesting an interesting dynamic. I think that uh, right. that definitely Michael Jordan changed as far as you comparing yourself to the individual rather than just trying to like beat someone as they as they are mm-hmm. and as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I want to I want to run through these last little notes if that's okay, okay. just really quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you have any quick ones, so the Bulls theme song, their intro song, just gives me chills. So good. I mean, I just I can't even I can't even I don't want it, but it's so good. It's just amazing. I also just want to like get married to it. I want to like skydive oh to that God. song. I want that to be like playing every time I like enter and leave my house. <laughs> Um, and I can't, um, I don't remember, I, I don't know if the Bulls um, sort of trailblaze that um, uh, making such a to-do out of intros. Um, mm. I, like, I I remember just sort of in the 90s, like, yeah, that's, that was sort of exciting. But at some point, like, having some animosity for their, their dominance um, and just being like, ah, this again, you know. Sure. Um, because, because... It, during that time, the the you know the, the team I was watching, the, the Lakers, didn't have um, the sort of lights go down and video um, introduction. Now it seems that I'm pretty sure every single team. Um, oh, of course, yeah, uh, is doing that. Yeah. I mean, there's like a you know like hundreds of fireworks that go off like mm-hmm. every night. Um, did not know about them trying to like beat the shit out of Tony Kukoc in the 92 Olympics, uh, which oh, I didn't, amazing. I think his story, I mean, it was amazing in a sense of new information. It was also just like, felt a little bad for Tony Kukoc, not a great yeah. look, just as far as knowing the circumstances. But maybe they'll redeem themselves in later episodes, right? Because maybe. he didn't really join. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping. I'm hoping too. I just, so far in the footage that I've seen, that we've seen, it's not like, Tony Kukoc and Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan are like giggling together a lot the way that like Ron Harper and mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan are. So I just think, um, I, I mean, I, it seems like in recent things that I've read that Tony Kukoc has said that he's like, hey, what's the big deal? Like we won some championships. It was great. Why is everyone so upset? <laughs> so it seems like he doesn't have any bitter feelings, but it was just like watch seeing how young he was and watching them knowing that they were like trying to prove a point to Jerry Krause by like beating down on this like kid kind of yeah. killed my buzz a little bit um, for a while. Uh, I also love that scene of Michael Jordan in that like brightly colored print uh, matching tee and short set turning around that corner in Barcelona and seeing I love the fashion. huge poster of himself like going up for a dunk. Uh, yeah. That black and white photo, it's, it's like, I mean, I'd seen that footage a million times, but it's just it's really lovely uh, lovely shots. Um, I so wish that they had gone deeper into Phil Jackson's philosophies. I'm really hoping that that might come up later on because that's just an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm, I think that for me, they definitely, I felt moved too quickly through both Dennis Rodman's childhood and Phil Jackson's childhood. Uh, so I, I want a little bit more information there. 
Um, I think that I want to cry every time I see basketball players hugging each other. I've noticed uh, in this documentary and maybe in games before this that I just like love watching that happen. Mm-hmm. I love the old all-star jerseys where they're wearing their actual team jerseys and none of them yeah, are in the same so jersey. It's so cool. It's like, I just loved seeing this like mi- mix match of all these different jerseys out there. And of course, like that's not, you know, it's like way more marketable if you're going to make a whole new all-star jersey for everyone to wear like that. That's a product. Yeah, that but you I've can never, sell. I've never seen anyone wear an all-star jersey. Well, it's because we know that, like, Who what does the all-star it? game mean? It means that, like, you didn't try and, like, you dunked the ball. I mean, up, up until recently, <laughs> that's what it meant. Yeah, that's kind of like year. a – it's just – it's not a, It's not like you want to embody the spirit of a player during an all-star game. So I just – I loved seeing those just that they were wearing their own jerseys and their own numbers. And that just also adds this other challenge of, like, passing it to the right person, which I love. Um Oh, Sam Smith. Uh, I've read his book, uh, The Jordan Rules. Really interesting. Last night would have been a great time for him to just tell everyone who gave him the information. <laughs> like, that was too much when they, when, you know, well, it's like. Well, he can't betray his sources, but. I mean, it's but so, I, I, it was so long ago. It's so, it's like, oh, it's like almost 30 do you, years do ago. Do you think it was Horace Grant? I don't know, because Horace Grant seems to. It, just, it was just, you know, Michael's like, it's Horace, Horace, it's like, it's not me. And then it goes back to, to Sam. It's just like, Sam, say whether it was Horace or not. You know, you know. So I just, I was a little, I mean, I just, I know that he, you know, that could create issues. I I have a sense, it was set up in a way that I, I do feel like it's Horace Grant, but I'm I'm not to, to I'm not the one to to say. What's interesting is, is earlier in the episode, before we, uh, got to that moment uh, is when the bulls greet the magic. Oh uh, yes, and Horace I love that. Is on Yeah, and I, you know, it was it was just sort of like oh, I, I, uh, reaching back to that moment um, and seeing the sort of yes, they were kind of buddy buddy and joking, but like um, the sort of cold, like slight uh, detectable coldness um, when they were greeting each other. Yeah, just a little bit of awkward. This is when they're they're playing against each other and they're like meeting at half court as captains to shake yeah. hands and stuff. Yeah, it's just um, yeah, that was an interesting interesting point. Um, there was this quote last night that I couldn't help but write down. Of course, this is around his Michael Jordan's issues of of gambling uh, and and the media coverage of that. Where I'm forgetting who said this, and I should have written down who said it, but someone who was interviewed. <gasps> for the documentary said all he violated were people's expectations. And I really like that because it goes along a lot with my own sort of sense of my connection to the idea of Michael Jordan versus Michael Jordan. And mm-hmm. I think that that is what he is trying to sort of unpack this whole time is like what he was up against because of what people thought of him and wanted from him and what he actually was. And I think that also speaks to the footage I was just talking about from Barcelona where he walks around the corner and sees this huge, like, building-sized image of himself dramatically le- leaping up to the basket, and he's this tiny little ant in comparison to that. And it's just this, like, what became of th- the idea of him versus, like, the reality that he was still experiencing. And I think that that quote, all he violated were people's expectations, just speaks to you could apply that to so many different 
famous people uh, and politicians and, I mean, just anyone who who we expect to be perfect. And I think we're seeing this right now in the uh, in our uh, presidential race. It's just this idea of um, checking every box. Um, and, and so, I mean, of course it's, it's different when, when you're not counting on someone to, to improve and better your life and make, make what you think are, are good, wise, uh, decisions that, that are humane and all of that. But it's just, um, yeah, just, that's what he, that, that was the problem is that he didn't. I wish, I wish they, um, um, cut back to Charles Barkley and sort of got his insight or just had some sort of dialogue between um, Barclay's I'm not a role model positioning and um, Michael Jordan as sort of the opposite of that. Um, the And I don't know. Um, I, I felt like I, I would have loved a dialogue uh, sort of sure. between those two marketing polls you know uh and to some degree like that was marketing too as we've talked about before with with barclay this sort of no filter um uh person willing to share and then on the other hand somebody who is incredibly guarded um it, it it just would have been interesting to 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 kind of have a back and forth there or to have more of Barclay's insights on what he was going through, because by the end of that episode, we basically have Jordan saying, I wouldn't want to be anybody's role model. Yeah. He has this regret of, of, of sort of the, the be pretending. like Mike. Yeah. yeah. The be like Mike. Exactly. Uh, pretending that he could be so interesting. The, the last thing on my list is from the first episode when they're playing that exhibition game, the bulls, uh, the nineteen ninety. Eight Chicago Bulls before the season starts they're going to Paris to play that exhibition game mm-hmm. and after the game there's like a player from the the team that, that the Bulls have played who's like shaking Michael's hand or whatever and he just reaches for his like the sweatband around Michael's arm because he yeah. wants it I mean he he uh, is so well. He he straight up he straight up asks. Yeah, for he's it. like, "Can I have this?" It's and so then, adorable. But he, but he's taking it off of Michael. I think before Michael is like taking it off himself. <laughs> like he's he's at he's doing something that I'm famous for, which is asking while doing. <laughs> um, and it is just it's really sweet, and it's this idea that uh, this this like desire and this sort of that that you're sort of overcome with this with this like longing to, to sort of have this person like be a part of your life in some way. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that was just, it was, but it was, even though it felt slightly aggressive or if it had been a fan, I would have been like, Oh God, but it felt kind of like tender, really, really sweet moment that I, that I, I loved seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was adorable. Yeah. I think tender is the right word. Yeah. Glad I, glad I nailed that word choice. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm in the city of Tucson. Um, you're in the city of St. Louis. And uh, we were talking about the game of basketball. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching and sharing your thoughts with me. Oh, okay, I thought you were talking to your listeners and 
said watching instead of listening. Oh, no. Um, I'm talking to you, and I'm always talking to my listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just, I feel like it was. it's important to acknowledge like the place that this documentary has and be such a big deal right now. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm so glad that we got to trade thoughts. Yeah, um, I was I was happy to hear um, all of your thoughts on this. I know you've been they've, they've been like taking up your entire your entire life, right? I mean, not entire life, but I really yeah. have a hard time focusing on Sundays. Yeah, it's been it's been good to you know because I um I have a real love for Jordan, but like for all of the um, hype and and. Uh, um hoopla about how he was afraid he was going to uh come off poorly which is total bullshit um you know like i watch this and it's just yeah it's just exciting to like he is winning me over um uh yeah i definitely haven't as a a non-jordan fan i think that there have been moments where i've been like but in general it he seemed so yeah i'm not he didn't have to win me over because I was our. I've been one over for uh, so many years now. But I'm. I'm. Yeah. I just am not disillusioned at all. I. I totally still love him. Yeah. Well, of course, it's it's his it's his uh, ten part Air Jordan <laughs> update so, VHS. Yeah, I know. I just all I can think about is like, will we ever get anything else like this? You know, because um, I. I just. Oh, yeah, good stuff. Um, great. Well, thanks, Brian. Hope we can talk again soon and keep me posted. I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll text about the next four episodes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me on, as always. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye.